The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Matthew chapter number 7, starting at verse number 7, the Bible says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh it shall be opened. What man is there of you whom if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? No good dad in here today, when your son comes up to you and says, Dad, I'm hungry, is going to give him a rock, right? Jesus is saying, no, if you're a good dad, you're going to give your son the bread. What man is there among you if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? Get this, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do even to them. For this is the law and the prophets. You have your service program guide. That'll have an outline that you can use as we study the Word of God together this morning. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to jump into a message simply entitled, The Good Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the good father. And Lord, on Father's Day, when we set time aside to honor our fathers, Lord, I pray that we would take a few moments and really see you as our Heavenly Father, and how that can totally transform our lives. Lord, be with us this morning, we pray. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this part of Matthew chapter number 7 that we're looking at this morning is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, The book of Matthew has five discourses, or five big lessons, you will, that Jesus gives. And this is the first one, the Sermon on the Mount. And I think we have a picture of where many scholars believe that it was initially preached. So we got it here all the way across. This is the Sermon on the Mount. You can see uh, the Sea of Galilee over here on the side. This is where many scholars actually believe that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, the Bible says, and he, Jesus, seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. So at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sees this multitude, he sees his disciples, he goes up into this high mountain place, he sits down, and then he begins to teach them the Sermon on the Mount. Now, as you study the Sermon on the Mount, what you'll find is Jesus is really explaining how the kingdom of heaven or how the kingdom of God works here on earth. Uh, Many people believed that he was going to set up a kingdom and literally overthrow Rome, so people were ready to go to war, and Jesus was, no, that's not my kingdom. Many people believed that the Pharisees would be the leaders in this kingdom, because they thought, hey, these guys, they're doing the law, they're they're upholding it, so this is is what the kingdom is going to look like. And Jesus takes some time in the Sermon on the Mount to really just explain what the kingdom is, and Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, you'll find Jesus really, he elevates the law and he makes the law so big and so intense, if we're to be honest with you, as pastors shared with us a couple weeks ago, that these people realize there's no way we can keep the law. There's just no way. He's also setting himself up as the authority in his kingdom. He says over and over, you've heard it said this, I say unto you this. And so literally what Jesus is doing is he's making the law so big, he's making it so weighty, he's making it so heavy Just imagine yourself sitting there. You're sitting here at this field. You're at the feet of Jesus, and you're listening to him preach, and he's just laying down the law, literally, to the point where these people must have just felt broken and despondent, thinking, man, I thought this was going to be the kingdom, and now I can't even even do it. Like, how how are we going to do it? And so literally, he's showing them that without Christ, you can do nothing. We can't fulfill the law. We're not good enough. He's setting the standard so high to help us understand that we cannot meet the standard that God has. And then we find ourselves in Matthew chapter number 7. This is towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, it's really this beautiful passage. After all this weighty, after all this heavy, heavy law, he gives us this beautiful passage. After these people realize there's broken and there's no way we can fulfill the law. 
He says, ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. This morning, I want to speak on the subject of the good father. The good father, really in the midst of all this heavy law that Jesus is giving. He gives us a beautiful picture of how God is our heavenly father. As we get started this morning, I want to ask you this question, though. What image comes to your mind when you hear the word father? It's Father's Day, we're celebrating dads, but in your heart of hearts, what image comes to your mind when we say the word father? Do you see a man of conviction and courage, a man who stood for what was right? Or does a man come to your mind that you have to find yourself forgiving over and over and over and over again? When we say the word father, do you, do you think of the man who taught you the word of God, who imparted the gospel unto you, who taught you what it meant to live by faith? Or do you see a man who didn't live according to God's law? Do you see a man who lived contrary towards God's law? There's many here today, and if you were to be honest, you, you could raise your hand and say, Nick, I don't even know my dad. I don't even know my father. He left before I could remember, or he passed when I was really young. And you're sitting here today, and you're like, I don't, I don't even know my own dad. Well, can I say to you, regardless of your, earth, your relationship with your earthly father, and I know for many, Father's Day is a difficult day. While we're celebrating dads, inside your heart, you're, you're, you're hurting and you're mourning. Can I say, regardless of the relationship you find with your earthly father, get this, you have a heavenly father who loves you and adores you. Which leads us to our th- first thought this morning, really simple. God is a good father. God is a good father. God is a good father who delights in his children. Get that, he delights in his children. Paul said in the book of Galatians, he's sharing his testimony in the first chapter of Galatians, and he tells the church of Galatia, he says, man, when I got saved, when I was converted, that pleased God. In Galatians 1.15, he said, it pleased God to call me by his grace, to reveal his son to me. Get this, when we get saved, that pleases God, that delights God. Why? Because we become his children. When Paul said, when I got saved, that pleased Christ, it pleased him. Romans 8.15 says, for we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. And so oftentimes we find ourselves fearing, and we find fear just creeping into our hearts. And Paul is saying in the book of Romans, hey, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but he, you have received the spirit of adoption. You've received the spirit of adoption. God has literally adopted you. Now, I don't think any one of us would disagree with the fact that our greatest need is justification. Absolutely. Because without Christ, we stand guilty before God. But because of Christ, we have been justified, that legal transaction that makes us right with God. And that's our greatest need, but our greatest delight comes in our adoption. You see, oftentimes you'll see a high-ranking political official, they will pardon a criminal. They'll say, you don't have to be punished, we'll pardon you. But I don't think any of us could ever think of a time when that criminal and that high-ranking official became best friends. He was, he was pardoned, he was justified, but he doesn't get the, the experience of the relationship. God, when he justified us, when he saves us, he also adopts us. And now we get to have a relationship with him. God delights in us. And get this, the last part of Romans 8, 15. You've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. That word Abba, it's an Aramaic word. It just, it means daddy or dad. It's a very intimate way to call your father. And so literally, as, as a man right now, I don't like saying daddy. To me, that's weird. I'm like, I feel like I need to hand in my man card when I say the word daddy. But as a father, when Nicholas comes up to me, now Nicholas, he's at that age where he's figuring things out. At first, when I would leave to work, he would just stare at me. 
and he didn't have a clue of what was going on. Now he's, he's figured stuff out. I'm surprised how, how, how sharp he is. Now when I go to work, he'll run to the door, and he'll bang on the door when I leave, and he'll cry, and it like breaks your heart. When I come home, he'll come running up to the door. And I can remember the first time he crawled up to me, and he said, Dada. My heart exploded with love in that moment. I was like, wow, he knows who I am. He knows I'm his father. That was, and every time he comes up to me and he cries dada or he'll cling, cling on to me and he just doesn't want to let go and he wants to stay close. When he drops his toys and comes running over to me, that literally makes my heart just explode with love for my son. Now imagine God, the all-powerful creator of the universe like we saw a few weeks ago. When John saw him, he literally passed out at his, in his presence. That same God wants you to call him daddy. And he delights in you. He delights when we call him daddy. He loves it when we run into his presence and just say, Father, I need you. I love you. And God delights in us. So oftentimes we, and I know for me, I would see God as Lord, and rightfully so. God is our Lord. We need, we need to see God as Lord, so don't misunderstand this. But I would only see him as my Lord, and sometimes it created this fear in my heart, like i got to do everything right or God's going to get mad at me. But what Romans is telling us and what Jesus is telling us on the Sermon on the Mount, he's like, no, God is your Father. He delights in you. He loves you. He wants you to call him Dad, Abba, Father, Daddy. When Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, if it be possible. If you look at it in Aramaic, he's saying Abba. He's saying Daddy. It's this very intimate expression for a father and their child. God delights in you. If you're here today and you're like, Father's Day is just tough because you don't have a good relationship with your father. Can I tell you, you have a heavenly father who delights in you. He loves you beyond measure. You are the apple of his eye. God is a good father who delights in his children. And he delights in taking care of us. Like the illustration that Jesus gave in Matthew, he says, no good father is going to give his son a snake when he needs a fish to eat. So God is going to take care of us. He delights in taking care care of us. This is vital that we believe this, that God delights in us. It's so huge because it has so many ramifications in every area of our life. A.W. Tozer, Tozer said, what you think about when you think about God is the, one of the most important things about you because it determines nearly everything that you do. That's why it's so crucial that we see God as our Abba, as our dad, as a good father who delights and taking care of us. Another quote by D.A. Carson said, what is fundamentally at stake is man's picture of God. God must not be thought of as a reluctant stranger who can be cajoled or bullied into bestowing his gifts, or a, reluct or a malicious tyrant who takes vicious glee in playing tricks, or even as an indulgent grandfather that just gives everything that he's asked for. No, God is our heavenly father, the God of the kingdom, who graciously and willingly bestows the gifts of the kingdom in answer to prayer. God delights in you. God delights in taking care of you. He is our heavenly father. He is the good father. Now, you may be sitting here and you may be like, okay, how does the fact that God is my father affect the rest of my life? How does that play out in my everyday life? What kind of ramifications does that have? And so our next thought this morning, I like to just look at several implications of being God's child. Now, as you study scripture, there are tons and tons and tons of them but just for this morning, I want to look at the two we find right in our text in Matthew chapter number 7. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 8 and 9 says, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and everyone that seeketh findeth, and that knocketh it shall be opened. Verse 12, Therefore, because God is our good Father, 
whatsoever ye would that men do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So what are a couple implications of being God's child? How does that affect our everyday life? Well, first of all, we see because God is our heavenly father and God delights in us and he delights in taking care of us, we can ask, we can seek, and we can knock. We can go to God whenever we need to. We can go to God whenever we want to. We don't have to, we don't have to fear going into God's presence. The Bible says that we can come boldly into the throne room of God. In fact, if I were to bring my son Nicholas in here right now, he'd have no problem coming right up here and just jumping right on me and interrupting this whole thing. He had, why? Because I'm his dad and he has no fear of coming up to me. That's the exact same kind of way we can approach God. You don't ever have to worry about, oh, is God too busy for me, or am, am I interrupting? No. As your heavenly Father who delights in you and who loves you, we can ask, we can seek, and we can knock. And in our passage, he tells us that he's going to give us good gifts. He's talking about the good gifts of the kingdom. A lot of times, people will either shy away from this verse, uh, because it sounds a little bit like prosperity gospel, right? Like, whatever I ask God for, he's going to give it to me. But you have to understand, this is in relation to God's kingdom. So God is saying, I'm going to give you what's best for you. I'm going to take care of you. Whatever you need to advance the kingdom, whatever you need to bring me glory, whatever's best for you, God says, I am going to give it to you. God is not promising Benjamins or bills or big houses or expensive lots. And you know what? If God's blessed you with that, that's great. Use it for the advancement of his kingdom. But sometimes God may do what's best for us and we don't understand it and it's hard, and it's difficult. Sometimes God may bless us with poverty. He may bless us with the loss of a loved one. Why? Because he wants us to be close to him, and he wants us to realize, hey, I have Jesus. And that's the, ultimately, the best gift God has ever given us is his presence. And so, because God is a good father, though, we can constantly ask, and we can constantly go to him. We are in God's kingdom. See, sometimes for me, I'll look at this passage and I'll call, kind of superimpose the American dream onto this passage, and I'll be like, all right, God, this is what I want, this is what I get, and God's saying, no, 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 you're in my kingdom, you are my child, and I'm going to do whatever is best for you. See, to be honest, any kind of suffering with Jesus is better than any kind of prosperity without Jesus, and God sometimes may allow human suffering into our life so that we can advance his kingdom and bring his glory and so that we can be closer to him. I have a picture of my son up here. Um, this is him. He's cute, right? Everybody sees this picture. Your son never cries. I have proof. He does right there. This is how my son responds when he doesn't get what he wants. Okay? At this particular instance, we were putting him to bed. He hadn't really taken good naps that day, and so he was zonked. He was tired. We put him to bed, and he did not think he needed to go to bed. And he was crying out to me and his mom. Ah! just cry. I don't want to go to bed. Now, as his dad, I know that what I'm doing is best for him. To him, he feels like his whole world is falling apart right now. He's crying, and literally, big crocodile tears, not just faking it. He really thinks he shouldn't be in bed right now, but as his father, I know it's best for him. I know this is not going to break him. This is good for him. The same way is so often true in our own lives. God is our heavenly father. We'll ask, and we'll seek, and we'll knock, and sometimes God doesn't answer the way we think or the way we want him to but we can trust God and we can put full confidence in God that however he responds to our asking and seeking and knocking, he's a good father and however he answers is what's best for my life. The truth is, if you and I knew everything that God knows, we would answer our prayers the exact same way God does. If you and I could step outside of time and see the grand picture, if we could see everything that God could see, if we could know everything that God can know, we would answer our prayers the exact same way 
God does because he is our heavenly father who delights in taking care of us. So because God is a good father, we can ask, we can seek, we can knock. He even gave another illustration of this, of the unjust judge. This lady goes to this judge and she's just nagging him and nagging him and nagging him. How many of you dads love to be nagged by your children? Nobody? Nobody likes being nagged? All right. Well, this lady, she's nagging this judge, right? And finally the judge just says, fine, here's what you want just so you'll get off my back, just so you'll leave me alone. God says we can go to God and ask and ask and ask and ask. And to God, it's not nagging. To God, it's not, it's, he's not being pestered by us. He wants us to go to him, and he wants us to ask and ask and ask. Why? Because he's a good father who delights in taking care of his children. And because he is a good father, we can have confidence that whatever he gives, however he answers, is what is going to be best for us. So first implication, we can ask, we can seek, and we can knock, because God delights in taking care of us. Second implication I want to look at this morning is because God is a good father, we can treat others the way we want to be treated. Look at verse number 12. Therefore, because God is a good dad, however you want to be treated, you can treat others. I never really put the two together that the fact that the golden rule, as we'll sometimes call it, is directly tied to the fact that God is my father. But because God is my father, I can now treat others the way I want to be treated. The truth is, we're all really good at knowing how we want to be treated, right? I'm really good at knowing how I want to be treated, and I'm really good at making sure I get treated the way I want to get treated, right? If we're all to be honest, we're really good at looking out for number one. But what this passage is teaching us is that because God is our Heavenly Father, and God delights in us, His Spirit is now in you. That Spirit that delights in us is now in you. And we can now delight in putting others first. We can now delight in meeting other people's needs. We can now delight in being used by God in this way. Romans chapter number 12, verses 9 and 10 says, Let love be without dissimulation. Now, dissimulation is a big word that basically means fake. So, let your love be real is what Paul is telling the Church of Romans. Let your love be real. Abhor that which is evil. Because God is a good dad, we should hate evil. We should abhor it. But we should also cleave to that which is good. Get this, verse number 10. Be kindly affectionate one towards another and brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Now, we're all good at preferring ourselves. (laughs) We're all good at looking out for number one. But because God is my heavenly Father, and he delights in me, and his Spirit is now living inside of me, I can delight in preferring other people. I can delight in putting other people first. My brother and I, growing up, I say growing up, we were in our early 20s. Um, He was eating cookies in the kitchen one time. I was at home for Christmas. Ashley, she'll remember the story. Um, He was eating some cookies in the kitchen, and I walked in, and I saw him set a cookie down, but I acted like I just thought it was on the counter, right? And so I grabbed that cookie. It was just on the counter, Mike. Um, yeah, I was being stupid. Um, but I, he, and as soon as I grabbed that cookie, literally, he just snatched my hand. And of course, I held on to it tighter because I didn't want to let it go. So in that moment, the cookie's gone, right? But we don't care anymore. Now there's like this brotherly brawl going on. I stole his cookie. He wants his cookie. I want the cookie. And we're 20 years old. You'd think you'd get past that, but we didn't. Um, and so we we're, we're start wrestling, and it goes into the living room. And it ends with me getting my brother in a headlock. And then he goes to stand up out of it and literally puts my rear right through the wall of our kitchen. And that, that's a great example of me not preferring somebody else. The rest of the story is actually really funny. When my mom came home, she literally just looked at us. We were trying to fix it. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but it's kind of funny. We were trying to fix the hole before my parents got home. And so, you know, you cut the, the, the sheetrock out to the studs and we we're going to put a new piece in. She got home right as she saw the big hole that we had cut out. And she just looks at us and says, get out of my house. And we both just ran. Um, 20 year old men just running for it, right? That's a great example of how not to prefer one another. That was me putting myself first. But because of the spirit of Christ, 
Because Christ is in me, and Christ delights in taking care of me, and Christ delights in me, I can now delight in other people. I can now treat other people the way I want to be treated. Let me say dads. Talk to the dads for a moment. Because you have a heavenly father who delights in you, who sacrificed his son for you, who delights in taking care of you, and promises, as we see, he will always do what's best for us, you can now be a good dad to your children. You can now delight in your children. And in those moments when you want to get impatient, and when they are nagging, and our impatience creeps in, you can be a good father. Not because of who you are, but because you have a heavenly father who gave you his spirit, and he's now working through you. I want you to imagine a society where we were so, our lives were just so full of God's delight. We were just so, we believed it by faith, and we're basking in his delight, and we're just enjoying it so much that it literally spills over into every relationship of our lives, every area of our lives. God's delight is just spilling over. So dads, in your home, you are so full of the delight that God has for you that it spills over to your wife, and it spills over to your kids, and you can be a good father because you have a heavenly father. You can go to your job and you can serve and you can work there with delight. Why? Because you have a heavenly father who delights in you. Because your job is fun? No, but because you have a heavenly father who delights in you. You can come to church and you can serve God with delight. Ladies, you can serve in the nursery with delight. Men, when people honk at you in the parking lot and they're not waving to say hi, you can serve with delight. Why? Because you have a heavenly father who delights in you. When our hearts are so full of the delight and the love that God has for us, as a father does for his son, as a perfect father does for his son, it literally changes everything. We don't have to serve out of duty. You don't have to try and be a good dad because you want to be a better dad than you had. You can be a good dad. You can serve God with delight. Why? Because you have a heavenly father who loves you. You are the apple of his eye, the Bible says. He delights in you. He loves you, and he loves taking care of his children. Imagine a church. Imagine a society so full of this that it literally just spills out into every area of your life, serving God with a light, raising our children with a light, being the dad that God wants us to be because we have a heavenly father who loves us and who cares for us. How does the truth that God is a father who delights in us change our every delights? It changes everything. It changes everything. There's not a part of our life that it does not affect. God is a good father who delights in you. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.